Dolly Parton herself once said, we cannot direct the wind, but we can adjust the sails. Or at least we think Dolly Parton said it. But regardless, if you find yourself these days trying to adjust and readjust the sails of your life to this wind called COVID-19, then you have come to the right place, a podcast called Everyday Wonder, a virtual place where all of us can take a breath, check in on each other, and have the kind of conversations we'd like to have but can't have because, well, you know, all the bars are shut down. I am Brett Will Taylor, and I'm here with my Everyday Wonder co-host, Renee Peck. Nice to be with you virtually. Nice to see you virtually. Um, Today's episode is called, Holy Shit, We Made It Through Another Day. Sorry, Mom. Because really, what else can we say at the end of these days? Now, we're going to have this episode by hosting a virtual stoop night. Stoop nights are a thing for some of us in New Orleans. They're a type of happy hour where you sit on your stoop with some libations and cool people. The cool people joining us for this episode include Pam Roberts, who is an educator, but also a theater maven, perhaps best known for her indelible portrayal of a queen bee with an attitude. Mm-hmm. Ian Walther, who does B2B customer interface, but also finds time to write about her experience as the mother of both a toddler and newborn who was caught in a shelter-in-place twilight zone of never-ending maternity leave in Groundhog Day replays of Frozen 2. Joining us soon is going to be Calvin Johnson, who's a retired judge doing his part to make sure there is such a thing as justice in our city, even if the courts are closed, and who also finds himself sheltered in place with his amazing wife and somewhat cantankerous mother-in-law. And last but not least, because he makes all this work, is Daryl Rollo, who is a local stand-up comic, but also our Everyday Wonder producer. So hello, hello to all of y'all, and thank you for joining us. Everybody doing okay? Hello. Hello, yes. Yeah. Doing good. And we're here for one reason. We love the city of New Orleans. And I'd like to start our stoop night by checking in to see how our city is doing. And Megan, can you kick us off? You are, you're uptown? Where are you right now? Yes, I'm uptown, um, very close to Tulane. So, I mean, I think we're doing as as well as can be expected. I think this is particularly hard for New Orleans. We're such we're so social as New Orleanians. Um, you know, this is such an interesting time um, in our history, really. I mean, this is a crisis that the whole world is going through right now. So it's it's really interesting that you know we've been through Katrina. Um, but this is, you know, that's very focused on New Orleans, but this is, you know, something that's the whole world is dealing with. So, um, I feel like I've been in quarantine since going on maternity leave, which has been about two months now. So, um, I gave birth to my second child at the beginning of February. So it hasn't really changed all that much for me, but, um, I've been on a lot of zoom calls, still connecting with people. I think that's the only way to keep us sane. Um, you know, still trying to get out of the house as much as possible. I, you know, I take my daughter on a bike ride almost every day. There's still people out and about. So I think we're doing what we can to to stay sane through all of this. And and so Pam, I, you know, Megan, you alluded to this. You said, you know, New Orleans is a very social city. We're used to being together and now we're not. Um, but I think a lot of people don't really get what that means because they think we all just come out for Mardi Gras and, um, 
and then go and live the same lives they do. But it's really, I mean, whether it's a stoop night or other things, Pam, it's really different the way we socialize in New Orleans. Is that right? Yes, it definitely is. The reference to like the stoop night is huge, right? Because, you know, you're used to just calling someone and showing up and hanging out on their stoop. And now I have been a part of a drive-by stoop night where you just pull up in your car, you stay in your car and your person at their house like yells at you from, you know, whatever. And you do that. And like the social distancing is very interesting. I find it's like, you know, we're a city of huggers, right? We're a city of showing affection. So when you're like in public and you run into someone and you're like, oh, oh, I can't, I'm sorry. You gotta like do the elbow or something. That's definitely like an adjustment. I would say that, you know, uh, Pam talks about, um, drive-by stoop sitting. And I think that's one difference between New Orleans and the rest of the world. We can't we can't do that distancing. The virtual, the Zoom meetings, the whatever, you can't reach out and touch someone. So we want to be there. We want to be close. Two quick things, and then we're going to say hello to Calvin. Hello, Calvin. Nice to have you with us. Hello. I am, I am quarantined. I am stay, I'm sheltering in place in Mississippi. Um, at a house we own on a canal, and it's on a little cul-de-sac called Poplar Point. And I got a text tonight uh, from a neighbor, and it turns out that all of the people on Poplar Point come from Louisiana. All of the cars and all of the driveways have Louisiana plates, except for the guy across the street who's from Texas, but that's okay. We forgive him. And um, I got a text tonight saying we're going to have sundowners at the Poplar Point Circle at 6 o'clock. We'll maintain a social distance, but bring your drink and come, and we'll all stand around the circle and have drinks and talk. So that's New Orleans. That's the way we do things is we just face to face. This virtual stuff doesn't work for us. And that really hits home with my grandson who I'm looking at because New Orleans uh, historically has been the place where uh, more multiple generations live than any other city. More people who are born here and raised here stay here than any other city. So I'm looking at my third generation not being able to touch or hold or feel or embrace. And I think that makes New Orleanians ache a lot more than maybe people in other places. Um, Calvin, you're from here. What do you think? I agree wholeheartedly. It's so, it's so uh, you know, with all respect to Zoom, and I have, like <laughs> Pamela, I've had more Zoom uh, meetings. I, I mean, I'm so sick and tired of Zoom. I got other work <laughs> back do for John. Don't hold back, Calvin. Oh, Lord, help us. I mean, if this is how we're going to have to live in the world, I'm going to move to a place but that doesn't have internet accessibility. <laughs> we'll come with you. <laughs> yeah. There you go. But it is, though, who we are. I mean, we are a, a people that love to touch. We love to touch. That's how we feel. We touch. And it's so difficult to not have that aspect of us. That's so difficult not to have. I have, uh, uh, we have my little family now. We have a, a, a scheduled Zoom five o'clock Sunday meeting, which is, that, that's our Zoom meeting with the kids, with the grandkids, with, with my, I got a 92-year-old brother. I mean, I, I have, it, it's, a, it's a confluence of family is what it is. So it, it it makes up in some fashion for the realness of what we actually do and how we actually are. It makes up for it, but it it doesn't substitute. No, it's not the same. It's not. And, you know, I don't know about y'all. It, uh, you know, it's funny, Calvin, I'm looking at you. And the reason the idea for this gathering came from a conversation or a call I made to Renee about a week ago after a really tough conversation you and I had just about how bad things are in New Orleans. And I told her, I was like, 
you know, if we were, if we weren't all in distant places and sheltering places, I would have ended that call with you and just said, do you want to get together at four or at five? Let's have a drink. We'll hug each other. You know, we'll just talk and be together. And, um, you know, this to me feels like, you know, I don't want to disrespect the, uh, opportunity that we have to at least have this, but it's a pretty cheap substitute. And, and I guess the one thing I'd ask y'all is, um, there's a bunch of prognosticators running around doing what people love to do, which is say how the world is going to be changed and, and different. And there's people going around that are be like, this is what we're going to all start doing. You know, we're not going to get together in person as much when this is all over. And what do y'all think about that? And can New Orleans maybe help the country not do that? I think from a business perspective, it will change. I think more and more companies will realize they can operate remotely um, in terms of their workforce. But um, at least in term, in New Orleans, I just don't see it changing how we gather and how, you know, just as, as other people have mentioned, we are so affectionate. Um, I just don't think that we're going to be able to replace that. Yeah, I agree. I think virtual, I think remote learning, remote working, all of those things are going to pervade the society. But look at what we do in New Orleans. We've already had the first couch festival by zoom by remote um so people so New Orleans that we made a festival out of COVID-19 and I think that you know look at Mardi Gras I know that it's getting a bad rep is where a lot of this started and I think the timing was just unfortunate and unlucky for us but I can't see a substitute of that kind of coming together in in joy and celebration and in the moment. I don't know, Pam. You're you're from, you're a, you're a northeasterner. What do you? Yeah, think? yeah. You know, I do want to hug some people, and it sucks that I can't just run out of the car. You know, like drive past someone and be like, "Oh my god!" Because that's a solid New Orleans thing. When you like, you're driving down the street, you see a really good friend, you will stop, get out of your car, and like run up and give them a hug, and then get back. You know. But also, you're you're single. You were as of three o'clock this afternoon. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> what? Yes. <laughs> but but so what is that? Because the rest of us all have partners or spouses or, or multiple babies and mother-in-laws. What is it like being single <laughs> with this? Uh, you know, it's th- there's the point of like, yay, I don't have someone underfoot. <laughs> like, I don't have to, like, figure some stuff out. And like, I'm not anti the grouping or the coupling of people. I think it's great. On the other hand, I'm only concerned about me. Right. Like I'm only in I'm in that situation. And apparently and this might be off topic, but it's me. So, you know, there was a video of an Amazon employee complaining about what was essential and what needed to close. And one of, one of his comments was dildos are not essential. And I'm like, oh, son, so you don't know. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that's, you yeah. know. Yeah, and then there go batteries. I mean, there's a supply chain. You know, Megan's, there's a supply chain. This Megan's work, B to B. We're connecting it. So I, I actually, Calvin, I want to ask you. I mean, it's for everybody, but Calvin, I want to start with you. So, you know, we've had um, in recent days, you've had Wolf Blitzer, the Atlantic weighed in today. You know, as happens, the rest of the country weighs in with their opinions on New Orleans. You know, how do you feel about that? I mean, because whenever something happens in New Orleans. It seems like a lot of people who don't live in New Orleans um, or aren't from New Orleans want to define New Orleans. And well, you know, it, 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 part the reason for that is us. Us in the sense that we take pride in being uh, from another country. We take pride in being uh, not American. 
I mean, we do. And we express that in so many different ways that in, in, jokingly, we say, can we please go back to France? I mean, jokingly, we make those kinds of jokes. I would love to. Well, yeah. We're the, the northernmost Caribbean city. We make those Yes, we are. <laughs> and we are the northernmost Caribbean city. But, yeah. but then folk take that and to, to mean in some form that, well, we are not really as, as together, as structured, as organized as these other truly American places are. There may be some truth to that also. Mm-hmm. But then they don't, those, those pundits don't recognize and understand that Mardi Gras ain't one day. Yeah. See, they, and they really get confused. They think, oh, Mardi Gras. And they take it as a day. It's not a day. It's eight days. It's not just saying we're going to stop this thing on Fat Tuesday. We're not going to have Fat Tuesday. But what the hell happened to Monday and Sunday and Saturday and Friday and Thursday and Wednesday before Fat Tuesday? So, I mean, that, 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 if, if they, with all respect to the pundits, did better research and understanding of what the realities actually are, then they wouldn't even say or even ask, I want to use the A word, dumb questions. Right. Would. Now, I agree. You know, what set me off this morning was there was an article in The Atlantic. And, um, you know, first of all, as I mentioned a minute ago, like the prognostic, the people that are like trying to define COVID-19. And this is what it means for our times. Makes me crazy because we're in the middle of it and not and, and a lot of people aren't even in it yet, you know. And so this guy wrote this entire piece about how the South was particularly hard hit, how there were a lot of people that, that everywhere else in the country, which is false, um, it was 70 and up. And in places like New Orleans, they had folks that were 60 and under who were dying, which by the way, in the whole country, it's about 40% of people who are 50 years of age and younger. But there was just all this, um, all these assumptions. And in the middle of it, Renee, was this piece of, all of the Southern governors were late to, um, to, 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 you know, put restrictions on folks. And, and I give New Orleans, I give Louisiana a lot of credit because we usually are pretty late to the game, right? Um, but we were ahead here. And, um, and I think people, you know, that's what I keep going back to is, can, is New Orleans maybe, and then now here I am trying to put a spin on the ultimate piece, but, but are there things that we can teach the rest of the country as folks come into this, go through it, and come out of it. Well, I kind of like being ahead of the curve because I figure, like, when I need a ventilator, maybe I'll get one because, you know, <laughs> we'll have hit the peak before it hits rural Wyoming. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I think we're all in this together. And I'm like Megan. I think that unlike Katrina, which was a very focused disaster that brought us all into the same boat because of a very focused event, this is global. And so suddenly we're in a big boat with a lot of other people who are not necessarily like us. And we don't like that. We're very idiosyncratic. <laughs> we like being who we are and we'll gather with all the people who go to Dornyaks and Langensteins. But do we want to get together with all the people from Peoria, Illinois? And I think that that has been a little bit of a difference. And I think that, yes, I think we are. I think Pam and Megan and Calvin, I think Daryl, probably all of you have contacts across the country that you're now sharing this with in a way that maybe we wouldn't have Katrina or some other individual um, disaster that was more focused. I don't know. Daryl, tell us, what where are you in all this? How's New Orleans doing, Daryl? 
New Orleans on my side, because I live on the North Shore, it's doing all right. The only thing that scares me is we were still having large gatherings being broken up as of last week because Ooh, just... But you're negating everything I've just said. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. right. well, Daryl, let me ask you this. I mean, you're a stand-up comic. One of the yeah. about a bit ago is, are we going to all become virtual creatures? Will we learn to virtually hug or whatever those things Pam does with her, shall we say, equipment. But but Daryl, you know, for something like stand-up comedy, and I guess this was, you know, do we always, are we going to always need an in-person audience? Does the audience need to be, is there something to be said? And Pam, you too, you do theater, about having an in-person audience. I mean, it is not ideal. I'm going to be yeah. honest with you, 100%. Like, I think it's more at this point, if you're seeing somebody doing something online, like, say for instance, I was doing a set or something like that, it would be more for me than it would be for them. That's, you know, it's not two way anymore. It's one way. I mean, I think Daryl, I, I, cause I, you know how there's just been this whole like glut of of people doing live shows, right? Like playing their guitar in the living room in their pajamas to give you a live show. And sure, they put up their cash app or their Venmo or whatever to like get tips and that's great. I'm all about it. But at the end of the day, it's like, I don't want to see you sitting in your pajamas <laughs> playing a guitar. Like, that's not the, that's not this, like, you don't want to see me on a video doing a Shakespeare monologue, like not connecting to you and not telling you the story. Why would I want to sit and watch you play guitar? Right. It's, it seems so ungenuine and yes. everything. There's no connection there. And I, what I have noticed this week though, is it's starting to get quiet, which scares yeah. me. Right. Like, it just, the content that was coming at first, I think was coming out of people's nervousness and needing something to do. And this week it got scary as far as, I think a lot of, like a lot, we had a lot of people die, especially in New Orleans this week, yeah. you know, that were important. And all of a sudden the streams of consciousness and jokes I were seeing and the content I'm seeing is starting to dry up. What do we do with that? Oh, I don't know. I'm just now starting to deal with it. Like right now, consciously, I try to, I guess I am trying to, my friend told me the best thing to do is make lists and then try to accomplish that list every day. I wonder, Calvin, Pam, Megan, are people still upbeat or still are people starting to get ground down by this? I I think, I mean, I think, um, you know, you see the numbers every day and it's kind of hard to tell, like, is it getting better? Are we flattening the curve? Um, it's kind of up and down every day for me. I think the hardest part of this whole thing for me has been not knowing when it's going to end. And that causes even more anxiety. If I knew, okay, August 1st, we're done. I just have to get through that. But that's the hard part is like the never ending aspect of this, um, is making it difficult for me at least. It's interesting because in your opinion, we like to tout the fact that we live in the moment, but suddenly living in the moment is excruciating. Yeah. yeah. Calvin, how are you doing? You know, it, it, for me, it's, um, it, it's, I guess, a, a, several sides of it. But the one that's, that's, that's just so painful is the amount of death. Right. And, um, and, um, and dealing with it all every day in terms of just the generalness of it and, and people dying, but then the specifics of it knowing some and, and other people who die. And some of them are relatives that are dying. And so it, it seems, and this is exaggerated, but it seems every day I get a text message and, I, and another one that I know died. 
and and that 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 side of it is very very tough. It really is tough. But but again, I I'm, I'm, I operate uh, from the, the perspective that that this is just another thing, and a horrible thing, an incredibly terrible thing. But it will pass. It will pass. And and how we come out of it though will depend upon how we live through it day to day. How we actually how we look when we come out of it. Right. In terms of that question, will we change fundamentally? And 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 so that 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 I guess speaks to what we do going forward. But again, I I I believe, and this is the other side. I believe New Orleans New Orleanians will in fact show the country and other places that how you how we are and who we are and why we are. We, we we live with each other. I don't see us changing. I don't see us becoming some kind of people that now lives virtually and not live touching and being and, and partying and and who and be and staying who we are. I just don't. Yet I I, I fear Megan too that that doing Katrina after Katrina the, it, and dealing with, with the justice system after Katrina and every day getting up to go do something as regards to justice system. And it was like every day you get out your bed and you go to the funeral. Actually, a couple of people said it and defined it like this. But every day you get up, you go to the funeral. But you never get to the repass. There's no repass. There was never a repass for Katrina in that sense. And it seems the same similarly with this. Every damn day we get up we, we see the news we, and we don't want to look at it. We see the paper and we don't want to look at it. We see our phones and we don't want to look at it, but we can't escape it. We cannot escape it. It's just there for us. And, we, and there is no repass. There is no fun thing. And that's just, for me, that's just, it's just difficult. Alvin, because you are, you know, you're a dear friend, you're a brother, and you are an elder for this city. Um, how do we get through this? What do we need to do today? We may not know where we're going, but what do we need to do today? Ooh, that's, that's a hard, that's a hard, hard question to answer in terms of, in terms of more than myself. And, and, uh, Daryl, uh, was right in terms of trying to be, be sure that my day-to-dayness has some purpose, that, that I'm not stuck in, in, with another day of nothing. And, and some purpose may be at, at least at the list, as Daryl suggested, but the list of things that today I'm going to do these things. Uh, today, but having some purposefulness around, about your life, because so many of us are used to that kind of thing that guides us in our life. And the, and the, and the sit in my household and do absolutely nothing is just difficult to do. So to to I guess to create uh, some purposefulness around around these days that we have to spend to get to August or, or later, but to create some purposefulness around it, and it may simply be capturing for some of us who can do this, but capturing uh, on in some kind of written piece what what these days actually look like. Yep. So there's no more for me, for instance to be able to share it with my, my younger, younger grandchildren who will live long after this to me. 
And, you know, that's an awesome thing. There has been a lot written about the importance of writing down these days, all of us, because we are all living it collectively, but we are having that experience as individuals. Um, And, you know, is one of the things, so yeah, we can make a list and I think we can be purposeful and we can take it day by day, all super important. But is one of the things we need to be sure we do, you know, do we need to dream about there will be another side and, uh, and to bring this back to New Orleans, because where the hell else would any of us want to go? Megan, what are you going to do when this is all over? What are you going to get or what are you going to go listen to or where are you going to go? Oh, I just want to go to my local coffee shop, honestly. Oh. <laughs> what is that coffee shop? Uh, it's the, I usually go to Mojo on Ferret. Sure. We just That's mine. Yeah. That's mine, Megan. That's yours? Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, yes. Calvin doesn't get up early in the morning, so you're not. Oh, that, okay, we're on different living. schedules. There have been so many times when I'm just like, oh, man, I just I just want to go to my local coffee shop. I just want to do those little things, those little rituals that, you know, have been taken away from us. But, I mean, I do think it is a, a time to be introspective, but I don't know. It's It's hard, too. I mean, it's a good day for me if I can get out of my pajamas. So I think that's also, I think that's important. Um, I think that's also a function of me being on maternity leave as well, but which is also, you know, already hard. But um, I, I think it's hard to balance the kind of bigger picture with just the day to day, you know, I need to live through this. And what do I need to do today to mentally not get you know, so down, right? And just to get up and, and do things, go for a walk. You know, I know a lot of people have been going for a walk, but just getting out of the house, so it's being socially, you know, safe, social distancing. But just, um, and I think it's almost cruel that the weather's been so nice, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, but it could rain. We need rain, though. I know. I mean, it'd almost be better if it's raining every day, but yeah. Pam, what about you? What are you going to do when this is all over? Um, yeah, I agree with Megan, like just going to the coffee shop and just like getting out and like going to do things. And also the just theory of like being out in public and not having to keep that social distancing. You know, what I'm hearing is that a lot of us think that if we could just not work, not have family duties, not have to go to the grocery store, not have to do all these things we have to do, wouldn't it be a wonderful world? We could just stay home and do anything we want. We you know, before all this, we would have thought, wouldn't that be great to not have responsibility? Now that we have it, we realize what a purgatory that is. Yeah. And and I think that what all what I'm hearing from all of you is that what we're longing for are not the big things. I don't hear any of you say, well, I wanted to go on a worldwide trip. I wanted to, you know, what you're right. What you're what I'm hearing is I miss the everyday small minutia of life that makes it meaningful, which is going to the coffee shop, going to city park, riding my bike and not having to worry about whether or not I'm six feet away from all the other bike riders. And I think there's a lesson to be learned in that. And I, I would have thought before that, before this, that new Orleans and new Orleanians would have already known that lesson, but I think we're learning it in a really potent, stronger way. Now I really do. So Calvin, I want to just, I want to ask you for your thoughts. Uh, this virus has taken so many folks from so many families and from friends and um, every life is, is important and there's a story to every life, but two lives that have ended because of this are two institutions in our city and they have left big holes. And I'm, I'm talking about uh, Ron Lewis and Ellis 
who died just uh, two days ago. And for folks who, you know, this is where I think New Orleans is so fascinating. You know, when I moved, I moved to New Orleans from Boston. And, um, and you know, Boston, we have the New England Patriots. Do not any of you say anything. Just bear with me. <laughs> Megan, stop it. But, you know, the New England Patriots in Boston, they're on a pedestal. They are not of the city. They um, are icons. In New Orleans, the icons are also our friends and neighbors. And so when I think about Ellis and Ron and others, um, Calvin, what's that like? What's it like to lose the icon? But also, and I'm sure for you especially, we've lost friends. Absolutely. Just so absolute absolute is it that um, on on a level, we identify. We we don't identify with those folk who others, I guess, may consider iconic. But we identify with them as being, you know, from around here, you know, they're from around here. They live right over there. They, right. Yeah. they live right around there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it can be from Drew Brees. You know, yeah, he live right over there. You know, yeah, yeah. He, Let's go know. to his house. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, I mean, that's how we. That's how we roll, or at the very least, think in terms of how we are in New York. And beyond that, though, when you also know some of these folk just have so much. My my daughter, who is. And I'm gonna say this because because I want to record it, and if she sees it, she can do what she says and curse. But my daughter is 46 years old. Ellis was her piano teacher. This is how long I've known Ellis Marcellus. Okay, he was her piano teacher. She went to him. She was going to him for piano lessons right after, right, right, right after other folk like you know like like Harry Connick Jr. was going. She was there. When she was like nine, 10 years old, I knew Ellis. I knew Ellis. And so that, I mean, and, and all that's been said about this man in terms of in terms of how he was as a person. Yep. Is how he was as a person. He was just so genuine as a yep. as a person, regardless of if where we go back now or 30 years or so in terms of knowing him, but but throughout the years, and regardless of the fact that his kids became who they became, he was he was just Ellis. That's one thing I love about New Orleans is that it's very, when people say things are diverse, they don't really identify what that means. But what it means is that we have crossover with socioeconomic groups, with different races and different ages and different economic backgrounds. And we all intermingle. And yeah. I think that's unique. And I think that in a crisis like COVID-19 or coronavirus, I think that brings us together. Well, you know, when when Eric, when Eric, the, the guy who died about two weeks ago, mm-hmm. who was a guy and Eric's friend, he was just a guy. He was a, a, a just a, a wage earner, a nice guy. He worked the thing. He became Eric's friend. They hung together. That's who we are. Yeah, they hung together. They went places together. They, I mean, he picked him up, and that that's. But that's just another aspect of who we are. It's just, it's just how we are. And it's so difficult sometimes to make other people understand. understand. Well, and, and I think, you know, with all due respect to the other people, because I now consider myself a New Orleanian, though I will always be careful to say I am not mm, from yeah. New Orleans. But I remember when I first moved here, um, somebody, in, somebody in my neighborhood told me, probably at a stoop night, they said, you know, there's basically two kinds of people in the world, people who live in New Orleans and everybody else. 
And I think, you know, Renee, the beauty of the diversity you talked about is the unity it becomes, because that's all we really care about, I think, is now, of course, there are the ones that are going to be like, well, where you stay and we're going to are you really from here or not? But fundamentally, it is this. um, Do you live here or do you not? And I think when you live in New Orleans, um, there's a bond, and I've lived in a couple of different parts of the country. Um, how wouldn't everybody else benefit from that? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's who we are and how, like, in the thought of how we're going to get through this, I think, like, that's a huge thing. Like, we we could be and should be the forefront of, like, all right, we've got this crisis. We know crisis. We will work it out. We will figure it out as New Orleanians or as people who live in New Orleans, Calvin. But we will be... Either. Yes, we will create a community around what's happening and we are going to make it work. Like we will come on the other... We will come out on the other side of this changed and, you know, a stronger community. Uh, all the good things, right? It's just when are we going to get out of it? is a stressful situation, but we're going to make it. You know, I, I go back to a story when I, uh, when I left New Orleans um, and uh, before I got wise and came back, um, or at least tried to come back. Um, and a, a friend of mine who's fourth generation, true New Orleanian, as in from New Orleans. And then she said, she said, you know, people would lament New Orleans and this is changing or this is bad or it's over. And she's like, you got to think of four generations of this. And she said, you know, my great mima would always just say, New Orleans always wins. We may not see how it's going to happen and it will probably look a little different um, than the way it did a month ago. Um, but I think New Orleans will win. I mean, this city more than almost anywhere I could think of, at least in the States, is a city that embodies the human trait of resilience. And the amazing thing to me about New Orleans is that she does so by retaining the other human trait of joy. And, um, and I think that's a pretty, pretty special thing. And, and Megan, I just want to, I want to close up how we end how we started up by going back to you, which is you have a toddler and your daughter is how old? It's two and a half. Two and a half. And then you have this baby boy, Augie, who's seven weeks. He's eight and a half weeks. Um, And, you know, this is a cheap question. Your mother, the editor, will probably kill me for asking. (laughs) But, um, you know, when, uh, you know, we're all at different stages in our life. Those of us who are on this chat, on this stoop night right now, Mm -hmm. those two kids are at the earliest. What do you want them to get out of this? Or what do you think? I mean, obviously, Augie won't necessarily remember it, but but how is it going to shape them? And what are you trying to give them as a parent? Well, first of all, I'd like to say I've thought daily that this would be easier without kids to go through this crisis. <laughs> but <laughs> besides that, Probably no, I think, so. yeah, I think it's just, you know, I mean, he, he especially the newborn doesn't, you know, he's, you know, so little right now, but my, my toddler, like she'll probably have some memories and, um, she's adapted really well. You know, we go on car rides and she will say, you know, we can't get out of the car. And she's like, no, 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 we have to stay in the car. We're going to get sick. So she's, she's adapted, but I hope what she takes out of this is she doesn't remember it being a scary time, but a time where we had, 
um, you know, the opportunity to connect as a family, right? And really, you know, I'm trying to look at it as an opportunity to spend spend all this time with my kids um, and kind of create those memories um, that, you know, she'll look back and, and not look at it as this big crisis, but um, a time that we can talk about, but it was, it was a time that we did come together as a family. So that's, that's just how I'm trying to approach it. And, you know, she'll probably still be too, too young to remember it, but um, I don't, you know, I, I do think it's, it's really hard, but there are opportunities, um, you know, to spend that time with family during all of this. You are uh, as wise as your mama. That's a, that's a beautiful, a beautiful way to wrap this up, doing the essence of Stoop Night, which is spending time with family. Uh, and uh, as we go through the days ahead, uh, may that be a priority to us. And, uh, you know, I just want to, as we wrap up, raise a glass to um, uh, those who are really, uh, who are struggling through all of this. Um, and uh, that means those folks who are on the front lines, um, those folks who are sick, uh, those folks who are out of work. Um, and, uh I hope they feel the family that's as strong here and that's as strong as the city of New Orleans. Um, Cause that, you know, as I look at each of you and especially you, my good friend, Calvin Johnson over there, uh, that's what's going to get us through. So uh, thank you all very much for joining us and, uh, and be safe and be well. Such a beautiful place. Such a beautiful place.